0: this morning we're going to look at the idea of having that kind of faith in line with our our monthly theme of returning home returning home to the source of life itself regardless of the conditions and circumstances that surround us today we are going to look at the role that faith plays in our ability to do that as i was preparing for this talk i was wondering How many times ministers throughout the ages have given talks on faith? Now, I suspect the answer to that question is similar to the answer to the question, how many stars are in the sky? Billions and billions, to quote the late Carl Sagan from Cornell University. Then I wondered how many times I have been given or have given a talk on faith. Not billions and billions, of course, but many many times so why do it again two reasons one because it is such a vital element in the spiritual journey we are walking and two i believe it is something we all need right now there's uncertainty everywhere economy health war terrorism starvation calamity, and on and on. So we could all benefit by returning home in faith. And the real question is, faith in what? We all have a lot of faith, but in what do we have faith? Oftentimes our faith is misplaced. Ernest Holmes in The Science of Mind, page 156, under the heading of misplaced faith, wrote, someone has said that the entire world is suffering from one big fear. The fear that God will not answer our prayers. Let us analyze the fears which possess us. The fear of lack is nothing more than the belief that God does not and will not supply us with whatever we need. The fear of death is the belief that the promises of eternal eternal life may not be true. The fear of loss of health, loss of friends, loss of property, all arise from the belief that God is not all that we claim. Omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. So, what then is fear? Fear nothing more or less than the negative use of faith. Faith misplaced. To correct all the evils of the world would be but to have faith rightly placed. A faith that lays hold of the beneficence of God, the unity of all life, and the integrity of the universe. Think about these things. So often people say, well, you know, it's, just terrible. I can't do anything. But have you ever been in a situation where you've thought, oh, that's terrible. That's awful. That blah, blah, blah. And then you say, wait a minute. That's not right. Let me turn this around. And you say, I believe. Bam! And you say, I can do this. I can be this. I can do this now. And then you go ahead and do it. And you don't even realize that you've done it until you look back and say, hey, that was pretty good today, wasn't it? we we'll allow every moment of every day to be pretty good for you. The key words I gave you a few moments ago for a faith that lays hold of the beneficence of God, the unity of all life, and the integrity of the universe. What would your life look like if you had faith? Complete and total faith in the beneficence of God. In the unity of all life and the integrity of the universe. When we were working on the sermon and when I was working on it, cursing Gina for not being here, no, I didn't. Uh, (laughs) No, I said some prayers for her, as you should too. Or at least do something called a treatment Anybody ever heard of a treatment? Uh huh. That's what we do here. Well, let's explore the beneficence of God. So well, here's a big question Does God change with the Tao? Now, I'm talking about the Tao Jones, not the Tao Te Ching. Is there a, a ticker tape on God? Hmm? Hey, God's up two points today. Doesn't seem right, does it? Does the headline read, The Infinity Got a Little More? Is God a Little Less Because There Is Chaos, Strife, and Disease? Have you thought about those? Jesus didn't seem to think so. His work was not dependent upon good times, was it? Did he say, I'll come back when there's no more leprosy. Or, I think I'll serve lunch when there aren't so many hungry people. Or, you know, I'm going to wait until that water freezes before I try to walk on it. He depended solely, exclusively, 100% on the infinite. And Jesus wasn't the only one. We are all aware of the story of Moses and the children of Israel who wandered in the desert for 40 years in search of the promised land. Can I once again tell you a little side story before I get to my point? At a Hebrew school, Mr. Goldblatt, the teacher, finished the day's lessons. It was now time for the usual question period. Mr. Mr. Goldplatt, announced little Joey, there's something I can't figure it out. What's that, Joey? Asked Mr. Goldplatt. Well, according to the Bible, the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, right? Right. And the children of Israel beat up the Philist- Philistines, right? Um, right. And the children of Israel built the temple in Jerusalem, right? Again, you're right. And the children of Israel left the land of Egypt. And the children of Israel fought unsuccessfully against the Romans. And the children of Israel were always doing something important, right? All that is right, agreed Mr. Goldblatt. So what's your question? What I want to know is this, demanded Joey. What were the grown-ups doing all that time? I like his question. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. So what was Moses supposed to do with all those children of Israel? They had to be fed. They had to be sheltered. They had to be provided for. Do you know how many people we're talking about? Let's just say there were a lot of children of Israel And according to the army's quartermaster general, who apparently doesn't have an awful lot to do, it is reported that Moses would have to have had 1,500 tons of food each day. Just think about this. To bring that much food in each day, it would take two freight trains each at least a mile long. But of course... (laughs) There weren't freight trains at that time. Now they would have to have firewood to use for cooking all that food. This would take, ready? 4,000 tons of wood and a few more freight trains, each a mile long just for one day. And oh, oh, yes, they would have to have water. If they only had enough to drink and wash a few dishes, It would take 11 million gallons of water each day and a freight train with tank cars 1,800 miles long just to bring the water. Getting in a little idea of the immensity of this? But then, each time they camped at the end of the day, a campground 2 thirds the size of the state of Rhode Island was required or a total of 750 miles long. Think of it, that much space for camping. Do you think Moses figured all this out before he left Egypt? I think not. You see, Moses believed that his spiritual good had no correlation to conditions or circumstances. Moses, like Jesus, relied on the infinite power of the universe. So, even if things don't look so good, if you have faith in the beneficence of God, we know they are. Let me illustrate. Two young men grew up in a tribe in Africa as best friends. One became king, the other his right-hand man. The right-hand man had a habit of saying, this is good. Together, they would go hunting, and the right-hand man would load the gun, and the king would shoot. Then one day, the right-hand man made a mistake loading the gun, and when the king shot, he shot his thumb off. The right-hand man said, this is good. The king said, this is not good. And the king was mad and put the right-hand man in jail. About a year later, the king was alone hunting in what he knew was an unsafe area. A cannibal tribe captured him. They had him all prepared for dinner, tied to a stake, standing upon a pile of wood. They were ready to light the fire when one cannibal noticed that the king was missing a thumb. Now these cannibals were very superstitious and would not eat anyone that was less than whole. The king realized that it was his missing thumb that saved his life. He went right to the jail and shared the whole story with the right-hand man and said he was wrong and that it was so not good that he had spent the last year in prison. The right-hand man said, no, 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 this is good. The king asked, how is it good that I put my best friend in jail? The right-hand man answered, because if I had not been in jail, I would have been with you. Something to think about, huh? I have little to say on the idea of having faith in the unity of all life other than this idea which Wayne Dyer poses in his book spiritual solutions to every problem he said we have one problem from which all sub problems flow that one problem is a belief that we are separate from God it is from the feeling of being separate that we create all our fears And doubts would you ever fear if you knew without a doubt which is what faith is that God was your real self would you have fear if you knew God was expressing itself as you and that you could never be separated from the divine source I think it's rather obvious that fear would be impossible I love this quote from the wonderful Course of Miracles, which Maggie referred us to earlier this morning, which I must tweak a little. The original quote says, if we knew who walked beside us, there would be nothing to fear. Tweaking it, it says, if we knew who walked as us, there would be nothing to fear. Can you think about that? All I have to say about that. So now let's look at the integrity of the universe, which takes us to this third idea in Ernest Holmes' quote faith in the integrity of the universe. What does having faith in the integrity of the universe mean exactly? To me, it means that I have faith that the universe works like it works. As good new thoughters, we say we believe in, we have faith in, the law. We say we know it works all the time. We say we know it works for everyone alike. We say we know it works according to our consciousness. And then we fret and worry and dwell on the problem. Let me give you an illustration of how our faith in the integrity of the universe, often works using a physical law as an example. Does anyone know the physical principle that governs a swinging pendulum? The law of the pendulum says this. A pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. Let me say that again. A pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. Why? Because of two little things we hear about all the time called friction and gravity. When the pendulum returns, it will fall short of its original release point. Each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc until finally, it is at rest. This point of rest is called what? It's called the state of equilibrium, where all forces acting on the pendulum are equal. Okay. that's your lesson in physics for today. And that should help you to no longer wonder why we call it religious science. How many in this room have faith in the integrity of the law of the pendulum? I see a few hands going up, all right. Complete faith? Oh, more, wow. Okay, let's see. I need you to use your imagination because I couldn't quite figure out how to actually do this as part of the illustration. I want you to think about the beneficence of God, the unity of life, and the integrity of the universe. Let let me leave you with a, a poem that describes the power of faith. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night. Faith sees the way. Faith soars on high. To help our imaginative demonstration, we see this. If there is integrity in this law, then we can see it in the movement of the pendulum. So do you have faith in this law now? Be honest. What was your reaction as you thought about that pendulum coming back at you, imagining it to be a 250-pound weight. Glad it wasn't, aren't you all? This morning, are you ready to return home in faith? Are you ready to return home in faith? Are you ready to no longer look for the, the little things that will say, well, It's not there because of this. Are you willing to say, yes, I believe and I know? It is my deepest hope that you have that kind of faith. Doubt questions. Who believes? Faith answers. Right now, we open our hearts and minds to the truth and the belief in God, in the oneness of the infinite universe, of the infinite consciousness that is of the infinite perfection, of all of that which Ernest Holmes and other countless, countless geniuses have quoted. And we know that we have that faith in ourselves to reach forward, to reach out in love, in peace. We know the miraculous Healings occur. Unbelievable changes happen in our world for the best. Some that even seem most horrible happen for our best. And we have that faith knowing that that infinite presence is with us now and always. Now and always. And we say, so it is Amen.